Hey, uh, did I ever tell you about that one time I almost got shot sitting on a toilet in Eastern Europe? No? Well, time to talk about it. Coming to you from an undisclosed location south of the Mason-Dixon line, this is Pearl Snap Tactical. All right, welcome back to episode four of Pearl Snap Tactical uh, podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and today I have with me one of our co-hosts uh, that and a, and a dear friend of mine, Alex. Um, I know in the last few episodes, we really haven't told you much about ourselves, so we're going to give you the quick elevator pitch before we go into these stories that we want to share with you. Um, Alex spent five years in Ranger Battalion doing special operations missions. He has four deployments to Afghanistan. Uh, I myself have about 10 plus years in the United States Army on active duty and on reserve status doing infantry and intel operations around the world, deployments um, to Bosnia, Croatia, and other places in Western Europe, been to the Middle East and, and things like that, uh, doing intel and security operations. So what we wanted to do is, uh, well, Alex, why don't you go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hey, how's it going, folks? <laughs> so, yeah. um you know, we wanted to talk, you know, the the name of this episode is how to get shot on a toilet. And so stories from downrange. And we wanted to share with you guys some deployment sh- stories that were kind of unconventional. Um, the the internets are full of, of all kinds of war stories and acts of heroism. And those things are cool. They're very interesting. They're very inspiring. But we wanted to tell you some stories from our past that lessons that we learned that are not glorious. And Alex, you know, you and I were talking about that, you know, when you sign up and you go into the military, I mean, soldiers like to ride to the sound of guns, right? Oh, yeah. And I think everybody, or at least I did, had this idea of there's going to be two things that happen if I can go to war if I go to war or go to some kind of deployment is number one, I want to, I want to, I want to win in a battle. I want to fight and die gloriously. And they write a story about it, or I'm going to fight and fight gloriously. And they're going to write a story about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just, this, I mean, it, most of the time it's just boring stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's, and so, you know, that's what everybody has in their head. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of stuff that the recruiter and the movies don't tell you. Yeah, exactly. Right? And exactly. that is what we want to share with you. Some of the more uh, embarrassing stories, some of the more, um, uh, I guess, not glorious stories. And so anyway, we're just going to uh, jump into it. And so I guess we'll start with the first one of that is entitled How to Get Shot. Oh. Um, so back when uh, I got deployed to uh, Bosnia and Croatia back in the day, we had just landed into Croatia which was our staging area before we made the push onto Sarajevo. And, um, you know, I was about 20 years old, uh, hadn't been in the army, uh, probably less than two years. And of course, you know, you've got all kinds of things, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, we're going to get in a scrape or, you know, am I going to be able to do what I'm supposed to do? You know, those stories, those, those thoughts run through your head. And so anyway, um, 
we were sitting out on a dock once and me and some of the other guys that were, you know, we were all E4 and below. And uh, all of a sudden we kind of heard some shots off in the distance and everybody's kind of freaking out. And my commander had come out and, uh, you know, this guy had been combat jumping to Panama, you know, Ranger tab, 82nd Airborne, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's, well, he's just like has his hands on his waist and he's looking around and he's just kind of grinning at us while these gunshots are going off. And, you know, you're kind of like, you know, kind of like your dog looks to you when something something bad goes wrong. You know, they're, they're looking at you for the cues on what to do. And I could tell you that's what we were doing. We, we all looked at him like, what is this really going on? What do you, you know, you're not doing anything. Should we do something like what what's happening? And he just kind of started giggling and he, he got a little tickled and he looked over at us and goes, you think they're shooting at you? He goes, they ain't shooting at you. <laughs> he goes, when they're shooting at you, you'll know it. And then he turned around did it about face and walked away like mic drop. And we're looking at each other like, what, <laughs> what? And so, so anyway, that's, that was kind of the first time I ever heard someone shooting in a non-training environment. Yeah. So a couple days later, you know, basically we were waiting for our vehicles that we had loaded into Belgium to come on uh, down our way so we could, you know, convoy into uh, Sarajevo. And so anyway, you know, it's two in the morning. And I gotta go use bathroom, man. I gotta go drop a D. And so I, uh, I get out of my out of my rack, and you know how it is. We, you know, sleep with your gun, mm-hmm. sleep with your rifle. And uh, there I am in my shorts, my t-shirt, no socks, and my combat boots. You know, halfway laced up. Ha- you know, half combat sl- slippers. Yeah, old man, those are my old man slippers. <laughs> so I'm walking down, and I go into the little latrine area. And I'm sitting there and I do my business, got my pants around my ankle, got my trusty rifle kind of leaned up against the wall and I'm doing the, the mop up operation. So I'm, I'm grabbing my toilet paper. So I got my toilet paper in one hand and my M16 in the other. And all of a sudden here, and all of a sudden it's amazing. First of all, the, the, the number of thoughts that can run your in through your head in a split second is absolutely amazing. I had no idea that my brain could process thoughts that quick because all of a sudden I said, I thought, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? Is this it? Am I going to die on the toilet with my pants around the ankle? Well, at least you didn't support yourself again. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm having thoughts of, you know, the CNN crew, because, you know, there was no Fox, there was no Newsmax. There were, I mean, CNN was the only news station that you really thought of. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is CNN going to come in and saying the first soldier killed in Operation Joint Endeavor? You know, and having the thought of them filming me with my pants around my ankle and my mama seeing it. I mean, just all these thoughts go around your head. But ultimately, within a split second, it's what do I do? And then, bang, without even thinking, no conscious thought. I spring off of the toilet and I'm on the ground. I get as low as I can. My pants are still around my ankle or my shorts. <laughs> I still got this piece of toilet paper I got to do something with. And so anyway, I kind of fling it off to the side and I grab my rifle and I just assess. And so luckily, you know, didn't get shot on the toilet. And, you know, we, I pulled myself up lace my boots up, kind of pull up my dignity with my pants, you know, and I rush out to meet everybody else to figure out, you know, to get instructions on like, what are we going to do? So, you know, it turned out, you know, that, that, that was basically the end of the story, but the thoughts of, 
I think you and I were talking about, you know, everyone has that thought is I'm training, but if the time comes, am I ready? Will I know what to do? And for me, the experience validated that I knew what to do. And from then on out, from the, from the ambushes, you know, we took from the sniper, you know, rocket attacks or whatever, whatever came our way during the course of the deployment, I was always ready, not because I'd had the experience from the toilet. It was because I had been trained. And so I would say your lesson going forward for folks out there is that don't, worry too much about whether or not you've had experiences. Don't let the fact that you haven't had a certain experience in life, whether it's at your job or in school or whatever, place self-doubt. You know, the point is the training is what prepares you, not the experience. The experience only validates your training. Right. And that's the value of the experience. I wasn't ready to go forward because I had the experience. I was ready to go forward because I'd had the training. So the more, if you have a doubt, just train harder, train more. That that's where the that's where your doubts will be um, put to rest. Because when the time comes, you will be ready. I mean, what do you think about that? Right. I, I had a coach in high school that used to say, you know, while you sleep, there's always another guy training um, mm. to beat you. Right. Yeah. And that goes with everything. So, I mean, you train as much as you need to just know that there's somebody out training more. Yeah. You know, there was something I I heard uh, David Goggins say, Uh, I think he was, I can't remember exactly who he was talking to, but I think it was kind of geared for people going to selection or somebody who had some type of physical challenge that they were coming up. And if they were doubting themselves, he said, the answer is in the reps. Because right. if you're wondering if you're going to be able to make it through a selection or make it through some marathon or what you know whatever it is you have, the answer is in the reps. And I, I would say basically, you know, my toilet story is just a long way winded way of saying, you know, the answer is in your rep is in the reps. If you have doubts about a, a challenge that you're facing, then you know the answer is going to be found in you honing and developing your skills. Exactly. Exactly. And then there's, you know, there's always stuff that you don't plan for. Uh, for instance, uh, me, one of my first deployments, uh, to Afghanistan, um, it was, uh, you know, nighttime. We we only work at night. So you're going out, you've got night vision, all this stuff. It was my first deployment. It was negative 27 the night that, that I'm talking about. So, I mean, it was cold. Uh, we were already, you know, you carry about 70, 80 pounds of gear. Um, we got to target and, uh, we're pulling security on rooftops and, uh, we get some fire coming in and, uh, my squad leader calls me on the radio and says, Hey, uh, go ahead and get down here. I need you down here right now. Cause I had the med pack, um, which about another 40 pounds of gear mm-hmm. on top of what I had. And, uh, so I go over to the side of the roof. There's a foot of snow on the ground. Uh, these caving ladders are about, you know, six inches wide, barely enough for your, uh, your, your foot to fit in. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going over to the ladder and all of a sudden I slip and fall and I fall 16 feet. Uh, it, it hit the porch on the way down. So, uh, uh, my ankle uh, got pretty banged up there. I, I'm pretty sure I had a dislocation, but anyway, I wound up getting home and ha- having surgery 
after the deployment was over. But anyway, my ankle is jacked and I go over to my squad leader and I say, Hey, here's the med pack. We got somebody hit. He's like, uh, no, I just needed the med pack down here. So I'm thinking, Oh, great. Here we go. <laughs> so I just fell off a roof for nothing. And, uh, but while we're under fire, so I'm thinking, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a chance to, you know, do my job and yeah. I get called off and I break my foot off <laughs> and <laughs> well, I wind up having to walk home. Uh, well, wasn't the first question it like when you went up to him and he's like, here's the med bag. Didn't he like the first thing he said is like, Hey, wait, did you just fall off a roof? Oh yeah. He, he, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, did you just fall off a roof? <laughs> yes. That, I that mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't talk about that in the recruiting commercials. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and I mean, his next question was, can you, are you going to make it back to the bird? And mm -hmm. I was thinking, yeah, it's going to be tough, but I'll make it. I mean, it's foot of snow, um, you know, but I carried all my gear out. Uh, I walked out. Um, and, and that's because, I mean, you, you've got to take some, uh, self accountability and show some grit because, you know, everybody else has got their own loads they have to carry. Right. You need to be able to carry your own weight yeah. and not be a detriment to the rest of the team or the rest of, you know, society as it be now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that that's one of the big things that I took away from that experience was, uh, you know, you have to be able to carry your own load uh, yeah. and, and not necessarily depend on everybody else. Everybody's there if you need them. But you have to put forth some effort to um, uh, be a contributing member to that team. You know, that's really interesting because right now in our society, to me, it seems like victimhood is celebrated as a virtue. You right. know what I mean? Uh, and, and not that there aren't victims and not that there aren't people that have issues that need to be dealt with compassionately and need help. But on the other skin, side of the scale, it does seem that there's a lot of benefit right now. If you can find something to where you can wave a flag and say, Hey, feel sorry for me. I've been victimized. I've been marginalized. I have this thing that keeps me. So everyone kind of circle around me. And like I said, I think there's times for that, but it seems like, society does not encourage you to ever heal and get past it. You know, the perpetual victim. Right. And what other, I mean, and so of all times is, you know, there you are with the, with the dislocated ankle under all the weight of this. I mean, how easy it would have been for you to say, Hey man, I, I, I can't carry this, you know, I'll I, walk it off, but Hey, carry this for me. Yeah. You didn't or, do that. Pull me out or yeah. uh, whatever. I'm just going to give up. I'm like you can't ever give up. You've always yeah. got to keep pushing forward. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I love that story, though. But, like, I just love that the the first thing that I can almost picture it happening, like, squad leader looks at you and said, did you just drop off a roof? <laughs> did you just fall off the roof? <laughs> it was uh, it was great. Yeah. Great time. All right. Well, before we got a couple more stories and then we're going to we're going to um, take questions. But uh, before I do, quick word from our sponsor. I think as shooters, most of us will agree that we want to be able to shoot faster, more accurately so that those skills will be there when we need it. And with the way that ammo prices are running today, you know, there's never been it's never been more critical to make sure that you are uh, honing and shaping those skills in the most efficient manner as possible. So in order to do that, 
we've got a free offer for you today. If you head over to the website, www.baritasdefense.com and sign up for our free How to Shoot Faster from the Draw. This is a program that will take you all the way from your draw presentation to your first hits on target, increase your uh, efficiency, eliminate unnecessary movement, and helping you build the mechanics you need to get those first hits. Head over to BaritasDefense.com and sign up today. All right, here we are. Um, we're back to, uh, we got a couple more stories, and uh, I'm going to go back to uh, another one. Again, these are just unconventional inglorious kind of things that you know they don't make movies about but there's lessons to be learned and that's why we wanted to share them today so after we had made it through uh croatia and had pushed into bosnia we were you had to understand that this was before iraq before afghanistan after desert storm so this was your our first kind of foray into low intensity conflicts where there weren't any you know, there weren't really any fobs. There weren't really front lines. There weren't really, um, you know, you were out and about with the populace and, um, you know, type of thing. And so we were with a, we were a small task force. There were, we were like 30 Americans attached to a British unit inside the French sector. So we were the only people around like that were Americans. And we didn't really have any kind of support. So, you know, when we would go out the gate, we didn't have radios. We didn't have a QRF. We, we had nothing. It was you, you, it was you. Uh, and that's just kind of strange now that I think about it because things are oriented different that you don't have that, you know, but that's, that's how it was. And so, you know, we used to go out like even a vehicle at a time, but once we started having so many, uh, ambushes and, and things like that, they decided to make it go, two vehicles. But again, when you're a small group and there's a lot of tasks that need to be done, things that are not related to your MOS, you know, supply runs, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that. Um, Other meetings, shuttling people to get, you know, supplies, showers or whatever, you know, when those things became available, they weren't where we were. So we had to move and, and drive out. And so sometimes, you know, you couldn't always move by two vehicles and sometimes it was just one. So it was you and your driver and that's it. There's, there's no, no one else. So, um, this was one we were making a run. I can't really remember, uh, what, but again, I was driving a two and a half ton truck. And again, I'm not a truck driver by MOS, but there I was, you know, making these shuttle runs. And I had a buddy with me and we're making these, um, we're up in the mountains of Bosnia, which are very rugged. Uh, these small, you know, you're in a, not a Western country. So the roads were not like what you were be accustomed to. Real narrow. We had just finished coming off a four day snowstorm. So the roads were very treacherous. It was hard to see. So all along these roads, you've got na- other NATO groups that are doing the same thing you're doing. You know, they're making supply runs and you, you're kind of meeting each other coming back and forth. And what you're trying to do is get there as fast as you can, man. I mean, you are driving as fast as you can because you don't want to get caught up in an ambush. You don't want to get sniped because if it happens, there's not anybody out there that's going to be able to help you or to even know that you're in trouble. And so, you know, again, I'm a 20 something, 20 year old dude. And I'm white knuckling it, driving on these hairpin turns and a two and a half ton truck 
driving probably faster than I needed to. And I think I had a couple folks in the back. I think we were doing a shower run or something. I can't, I can't really remember, but I just remember just driving as fast as I could. And all of a sudden, as I came around a corner, this English Bedford, which was basically the component to the, you know, the, the deuce and a half that we were driving at the time comes careening around the corner and they don't have anywhere to go because we're on the, on the side of a cliff. There's no guardrails like, you know, what you and I are accustomed to. There's no guardrails. It's just, you roll off into the side of, side of the road and it's like, Oh dang, man, you just, you just flipped out down the side of a road, uh, down the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I that's mean, that, that's basically how it happened. And so, you know, uh, so I'm between him and he's off in my lane coming straight at me. So the only thing I have to my side is just a sheer mountain cliff. There's no shoulder. There's no ditch. There's just a mountainside or like rock on my right or truck on my front or side of the mountain. I don't know how many you know, thousands of feet up or hundreds of feet up or whatever. So not a really good thing. So, you know, we're trying to, it's like trying to, you know, squeeze, you know, five pounds of poop and a two pound sack, you know, and um, trying to get these two, these two uh, trucks. And what happened is we ended up just barely missing each other uh, on a front end collision. And we just basically sheared where, my side mirror exploded off. The only thing I saw was the blur of that Bedford coming forward and then the rear, the side mirror exploding off to my left because he just sheared it off. That's how close we were. And uh, so obviously that got the pucker factor off. Yeah, I was going to say you were wanting that porta potty then, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. It's like good night. You know, it's like all the, <laughs> you know, you and I were talking about this the other day. It's just like, you think that when you go off to a deployment, you're going to, if you're going to die, it's going to be in a gunfight, but there's so many other things that can take you out. And that does take people out sickness, training accidents, road. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Excuse me. So anyway, the long and the short is, I mean, that got my heart racing up pretty, pretty fast. But, you know, as I look back on that, kind of that would have been an inglorious way to meet my death is just to be incinerated by you know the collision of these two huge pieces of equipment colliding with each other but i look back at that now and i say you know that there's always a tension point between that you have to walk and oftentimes it's a fine line between getting the task done and balancing you know in that sense safety or other considerations that are competing and I find that even with business now, you know, it's so easy to get sucked into to that one thing, to that one task. And I have done that before, which to the detriment of other parts of the business, you know, I'm trying to promote one thing. I'm trying to build this course. I'm trying to do this thing and all the, you know, my family stuff's going on. I got kids that I got to get to the ball games, or I've got taxes that need done or, right. you know, I get sucked in and you like I said, there's that fine line. And I think anybody can relate to that. I think we've all experienced that. And so it's like, yeah, I I could have got us there, but what happens if, you know, half the people are injured or they would have gotten thrown around in that truck and gotten injured. It's like, yeah, we still made it. We didn't get ambushed. We all made it alive. But now if you've got injured soldiers with you, you really failed. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think just balancing that tension, I try to think on those days now, whenever I get tunnel vision with my business or other areas in life and just saying, hey, look, man, there's competing factors and you do what you can do and you do it right, but you don't neglect the other things that need done either. Right, know? right. Do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. Well, another one of the things that I had happen with me uh, was uh, we had some... Uh, we're sitting in our tent, right? We're in there playing video games like we normally do on our time off. You know, you play video games, lift weights. That's about all, all you do on deployment, pretty much. And uh, we it was during the day. So uh, we work at night, sleep during the day. So we're on kind of a reverse schedule. And here it is about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. We're, everybody's up playing video games. And uh, we have uh, mortar rounds land pretty much right outside the hut. I mean, right outside the mail room, it was uh, like one hut over and uh, playing video games. Well, you know, that could have been right next to us or right, right in our tent yeah, where we were playing video games. I mean, that's a uh, pretty much unglorious thing. You're in your time <laughs> off, relaxing in your in, in, in your rack or whatever in the squad area. And uh, it, you hear this big boom outside. So, I mean, you know that goes back to what we were saying earlier it's not always uh glorious fighting where you're at and uh well i mean when you go find these things a lot of times they're uh you know they take take a block of ice and the ice melts and touch two wires together and boom it's yeah more right that guy's not even there at yeah. the time they set these things out at night and then yeah and then leave so i mean there's nobody to fight yeah you know once something like that happens yeah i mean i think uh i think i read somewhere uh, that that talked about, you know, war fighting and stuff that there's, you know, your training, your equipment, your mindset, your knowledge and your skill set. But there's always an element of luck. Oh, yeah. Involved. It's better to be lucky than good. That was uh, Chichi Rodriguez, <laughs> old golfers used to say that it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing that there's this component of that you can't prepare for. And right. I think sometimes in life, and I, I mean, hell, I know it's with me too, that sometimes, you know, you're like, well, what if, what if this happens or what if I don't succeed or, you know, and it, sometimes it keeps people from trying or, or what if this happens to me and it's this bad thing. And the fact is, is, you, you know, kind of like Al Pacino said in Heat, you know, you get killed walking your doggy, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, and you just can't help that. You, you can't help that. You can't prepare for rock everything. Like you can't prepare for every scenario. I mean, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You just have to have the skill set that you can adapt and apply when need be or the yeah. situation arises. And that yeah. comes in with, you know, situational awareness, mobility, like all the things that we teach in our classes. You know, we're, we're preparing you not only to um, uh, not only to face a certain threat or an obvious threat, but you can apply a lot of these tactics to um, everyday life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not all, you know, shoot fast, move fast, all this stuff. It has to do with everything. I mean, you yeah. can apply something to every situation you encounter. Yeah. So, you know, you count the cost, you try to plan for the contingencies, you know, and for the things that, that happen, but you also have to understand that, you know, you got to be good, but you got to be lucky too. And that's just part of it. Right. You know, right. So, so anyway, good, good times, good times. Um, 
we got uh, a couple of questions I want to close out with from our, our mail-in uh, bag, people emailing us. If you have questions that you want us to answer, just go to info at baritasdefense.com and uh, send them and just just put in the topic, you know, podcast questions or whatever, and that way I'll see it and we'll, we'll get to them shortly. So uh, the first one uh, is coming from Mark from Kansas. And he wants to know what is the best tourniquet to uh, to get. He wants some advice on tourniquets. So why don't you take that one? So t- tourniquets for me, tourniquets are a great thing to carry. And uh, I always carry one in my a- everyday carry, at least one. Um, and I'm a fan of the soft T tourniquets. And the reason why there's nothing wrong with the cats uh, the cat tourniquets, another, uh, uh, pretty popular one, but for me, uh, I'll, I'll carry one cat and usually one soft tea. And the reason why is I've had some experience using cats when, when they were actually needed. And mm-hmm. we had a problem with the windlass rod or the stick that you twist to tighten it up, breaking so uh our medic uh was in on the development of the soft tea tourniquet and it it has a uh steel rod or a metal metal windlass rod that you can twist and it's it's more sturdy um it's pretty compact uh good to use there's nothing wrong with the cats Uh, now i carry a cat about everywhere i go but uh the soft tea is also a, a a good alternative to a cat it's might be just a hair cheaper. And I think some of the newer generation cats have gone to a stiffer, stronger, uh, windless rod, which really, uh, really helps out. So, yeah. Um, uh, I carry a cat tourniquet too. And I, I guess the only thing I would say is, you know, not all cat tourniquets are made equal. So if you go out to Amazon and you see a nine ninety nine jobber, I'd stay away from that. The things, you know, probably from a, made in a third world country there's no quality control i would not buy anything most of your tourniquets are what like 30 bucks yeah they're gonna cost you about 30 to 40 bucks would be you know i would go yeah check out north american rescue or some other reputable company i mean we don't have any ties to them so i'm not i'm not plugging anybody but that just they uh you know archangel dynamics is a company I, i know the guy in arizona he sells good stuff um, so anyway, check those out, but don't, don't, you know, you're going to pay more than 10 bucks for a good tourniquet. Yeah. It's, and and another thing on the tourniquets is, uh, swap them out. They have a, a, a date on them. And if it's past the date, I mean, if you don't use it and leave it in the bag, yeah, it's good. But given the, uh, the, the plastic or composite they use, um, only use it within, when it's within its, uh, date. It's got an expiration date like everything else. So, I mean, that's more of a, a CYA thing, but, you know, it's still good to uh, swap them out, buy new ones, check your med kit, make sure all your stuff's uh, up to date. Yeah. Okay, good deal. Um, let's move on to the next one. We've got a question from Shane from Pennsylvania, and he wants to know how much ammo he should carry. Uh, and I, I assume he's talking about when he for EDC everyday carry. So you know we think that the axiom of of warfighting doctrine is the the priority on establishing fire superiority, right? You need to have that ability 
like we talked about in the ambush series in episode two and three, that there may be a case where, you know, it's not two shots that are going to be enough. You might have to close with, you might have to move and suppress that target as you maneuver on them to find them, finish them and neutralize them so that you could get to your loved one. If you're separated, that's just one example. I mean, how many rounds is that going to take? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're going to do that in five rounds. Probably not. So, you know, I still, I don't care who it is. I I still wouldn't advise that you carry a low round count uh, weapon because number one, there's just no reason to like, there's really no added inconvenience for the most part between carrying like a Glock 43 and a Glock 19. I mean, there is, they are different. You're right. You agree with me. I I mean, I carried a 43 for a little while. I didn't like it because my, I got uh, gorilla hands. So, I mean, you know, it just didn't fit my hand good. I didn't, I I didn't like the gun. It concealed very well, but uh, it was just a a smaller gun for me. Uh, Now, I mean, I carry a 26, um, Mm And I carry, uh, I got a 10, uh, 10 round mag plus two. And then I carry, uh, a set a Glock 17 mag that fits in the 26. So, I mean, I have 15 rounds as well. Yeah. Usually when I carry, so, I mean, I'll carry, uh, what is that? 25 rounds most of the time, but mm-hmm. you know, it, then you have to put in, you know, do I want to be carrying all this stuff in my pocket? Cause I mean, you got phone, you got wallet, you got, um, mm-hmm. keys, you've got, you know, everything else that you carry. If you carry a knife or a flashlight or anything else, you wind up, you know, pulling your pants down and all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's a pain really. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, nobody don't get us wrong. Nobody's saying this. Don't carry a Glock 43 or you shouldn't carry an MMP shield or, or something like that. Those are fine guns. But what I'm saying is don't make your decision based on what somebody else says. Make it like yeah. what is right for you? Like, what are your goals and objectives? Where are you going through? You know, the inconvenience or difference between a carrying a Glock 43 and a 19 is so small and insignificant that it just doesn't enter into the calculus for me. So the question is, you know, why would I carry a Glock 43 when I can have something like a 19? I mean, why wouldn't I do it? And, and when I come to the end of the, of the road is, is I don't have a good way to answer that. So therefore I go to the 19. Yeah. You know, I want, yeah. It's what works for you. Yeah. It's the biggest thing and get comfortable get familiar with your equipment and be able to use your equipment effectively. That's the biggest thing yeah. there is. And so the, you know, the point we're trying to say is that, you know, run through the analysis, think about it and make a decision based on the principles you want to live out and not just on because this person said it. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, we got one more. Um, oh, that's interesting. Cause this goes right into with our, our offer on on the Baroness website. So we had this is from who's this from? Willie from Arkansas. Go hogs. We get a lot of folks from Arkansas. Um <laughs> so we got um he's got a question on how to shoot faster and more accurately from the draw. So of course We'll start off first by saying go to the website again, www.baredisdefense.com, and sign up for our free How to Shoot Faster from the Draw. But what you're going to find is I think the number one key on that is you want to get the gun up and you want uh, um, you want to increase the speed. The way to do that, number one, is not necessarily going faster. It's just that is part of it. But the big thing is eliminating unnecessary mo- movement. 
I mean, if if you don't move any faster, but you cut out unnecessary movement, but you're still moving at the same speed, you are moving faster. Well, there's there's only two two tasks you have when firing a weapon. You've got essential tasks and non-essential tasks. Non-essential tasks are, are uh, I'm sorry, essential tasks are sight picture and tr- trigger squeeze. Everything else is a non-essential task. So you want to get through those non-essential tasks as quickly as possible. And that comes with making straight lines with your hands, no arcing maneuvers, no anything of that. So the quickest, quickest way between two points is a straight line, right? So uh, work on your draw, work on that kind of stuff. Draw fire, draw fire, draw fire. Yeah. So start it slow, be methodical, be methodical. Uh, our program will take you through that. And then as you go, then you can, then you can go faster. You know, uh, a lot of folks will say that, what is that? You know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I mean, that is true to a point. And the reason why is because you're eliminating unnecessary motion and jerky motion, right? right. So once you create those neural pathways in your brain, that is learned, which is, you know, a fancy way for saying muscle memory, you know, that's what you're doing is, is grinding out these neural pathways that your brain can send those signals more efficiently to the parts of the body that need to conduct that task. Right. And and that's that's through repetition. Yeah. Through repetition. And then as you have the repetition down, it doesn't take as long for your brain to signal those signals. So then you can start increasing the speed, increasing the speed and, and training those quick to twitch muscles. So then you don't have a lot of uh, overaction, jerky motions and things like that, then again, are complicating it. So, you know, those are, th- that would be the draw on presentation. But what do you think, Alex, about the actual stringing your, your shots together? Stringing shots together. Uh, the biggest thing for me is recoil management on that. So having good hand placement on the gun. So how do you get good hand placement on the gun to where, when you're drawing, right? And it's doing it over and over again. Um, as far as shots, on, uh, rapid succession shots on target. All right. So you will, uh, excuse me, you will have to work your recoil management in order to, uh, uh, get that sight picture, have the follow through, get your next sight picture, release that next round, get your sight picture again. And you're essentially driving the gun onto target, driving the gun where you Mm -hmm. want it to be. Yeah. I think would be probably one of the, one of the biggest things you could do. And that comes with shooting, but, Mm-hmm. Uh, practicing that and dry fire, getting your first first round on, making sure you got a good grip on the gun, a good um, good pressures on the gun. That can be done dry fire, but uh, recoil management, build drill, uh, that kind of stuff, like we'll teach you in um, mm-hmm. in, in this class, um, is is paramount. And we usually do like a progression, right, where we start out with a single shot and then graduate to a control pair. And then right, I think I'm reading the bill drill. Hit me into there, and I just missed it. But uh, no, no, you you go single shot, control pair, and then uh, you know bill drill, and that that starts refining that uh, recoil management. Yeah, and then from there, you're you really you're getting into some real skill set there once you once you master that, and that'll keep you busy for a while. Um, Hey man, we are about to wrap this up. Uh, I got one little last question, uh, just a rando question. Who who are you digging as far as your classic 
uh, country music artists. Who who would you say was your favorite? This is way off topic, but oh man, uh, Chris Christopherson's one of my favorites. Are you serious? Yeah, I like Chris Christopherson. I like uh, George Strait. I mean, you can't go wrong with him. Yeah, you know that's crazy. That I guess he is a classic country music. I still think of him um, as being. <laughs> I guess that just gets on my age. But um, you know, for me, man, I'm digging on Waylon. Yeah. I mean, dude, Way back. My, my opinion is if you ain't listening to Waylon, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. With but that. <laughs> anyway, go ahead and drop us a line. Let us know what kind of country artist you like listening to. You can just email us at uh, info at com. Let us know. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. So anyway, um, um, but anyway, we appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And until next time. This is Mark and Alex signing off from Pearl Snap Tactical. Stay sharp.